You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Dear friends, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to consider with me for a few moments this morning the Gospel reading, which I read just a few moments ago. Jesus' parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. A Pharisee, I believe, about, I mean, a parable, I believe, about justification. In fact, there are a few things that are unique and central to Christianity that distinguish it from every other religion and also from philosophy. Or in other words, that distinguish Christianity as a matter of faith in God as opposed to what self-reliant reason or our natural understanding of things might think. One of those things is that Jesus is true God and true man in one person. And that leads directly to the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. If Jesus is true God, then, and God is one, how do we work that out? But human reason doesn't understand a bit of that. Another one is what Jesus as true God and true man came to accomplish. What was his mission? This leads us into the atonement. Jesus as God the Son in human flesh becoming the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this leads to justification, which leads to our parable. But there are two sides to justification. One we could consider the objective side. What God has done, irrespective of what anyone may think or believe about it. Jesus died and rose again and accomplished our atonement. That's done. But what we make of it, what we believe about it, is also vitally important. That's the subjective side. But on the subjective side, Jesus is also in our parable teaching us about something else that is also unique to Christianity, which is a unique understanding of human nature and a unique understanding of our justification before God. And this we see in specifically in the parable where Jesus talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector, talking about them in the context of justification. Now we can see that Jesus is direct is teaching us about this part of this subjective side when he talks about the Pharisee or, or opens up the parable by talking about those who trust in themselves. See that? Trust in themselves that they are righteous. He's addressing what we think about ourselves in the context of justification and how this makes such a huge difference with respect to our justification before God. Now, there's one other introductory thing before we get into talking about the Pharisee and the tax collector and what Jesus says about them and Jesus' judgment and then maybe trying to think about some perplexities about this. There's another aspect of context. When we're talking about justification, 
what context are we talking about? Well, this is in our text in Jesus' parable where he says that the tax collector and the Pharisee went up to the temple to pray. That is significant because the temple is where God had in the Old Covenant placed his name so that he could be found to deal with us according to his word and specifically so we sinners could deal with him with respect to finding forgiveness. This is a special presence of God where he is specially located, we could say, for us to find him. It's different than the almighty, omnipresent presence of God, which is everywhere. Frankly, we actually can't deal with God in justification with respect to his omnipotent presence because we can't find him there and we have no idea what he says in his omnipotent presence. And so we're in a special presence of God where we appear in God's special presence where he can deal with us according to his grace and mercy and forgive our sins and to hear our prayer. They went up to pray. So they are acknowledging that they're coming into the presence of God. And this is where the doctrine of justification takes place. So, we have a Pharisee and we have a tax collector. I don't really want to spend much time on either one of these because we don't have a whole lot of time in a sermon uh, with respect to who they were historically. Now, we could say that the Pharisees were probably a group, maybe a sect of mostly lay people, who were thinking that the way to become righteous before God was to fastidiously obey his commandments, but also some additional traditions of the elders, which were largely ritualistic, and that by fulfilling those rituals, they would be righteous before God. And one other fact about the Pharisees, we think, is that they were a sect that thought that to be holy before God meant to separate yourself from the world and then pursue this kind of righteousness, they thought, in separation from the world. In other words, they didn't want to be defiled by others. Frankly, I think this reminds me more historically about monasticism than anything, because I think what we're trying to do is figure out, well, how do, how do, who are Pharisees today, historically speaking? And I don't know that we... That's kind of difficult, I think, in our culture, in our context. But anyway, that's not really the important part. The important part is, what is a Pharisee spiritually speaking? Or we could say, what is a Pharisee as a paradigm of a certain type of person with respect to justification? That's, now that's more uh, to us today. The tax collector... Historically, tax collectors were, this is kind of complicated, which is another reason why I don't want to get into it historically, but tax collectors were actually tax farmers. Back then, the way taxes were collected for the state was 
until things changed like the second and third century of the Roman Empire AD. But by and large, the way taxes were collected was that the state would sell the right to collect taxes to a tax collector. So the tax collector would come along and say, oh, I can get you $50,000 worth of taxes. And the state would say, fine, go get it. But if the tax collector wants to make a living, they tack on a little bit more, right? So instead of collecting $50,000, they try to go out and collect $60,000. And now you can use your imagination and think about all kinds of mischief that can creep in. Which is one reason why the Pharisees and a lot of, and the pre- chief priests and a lot of rabbis in Judaism at that time thought tax collectors were no better than thieves. Now, one thing we can say about tax collectors is they were engaged in a vocation. Real world. Unlike the Pharisees, they were not separating themselves from the world, but fully engaged in one element of the way the world worked at that time. Now, we could say the same thing about ourselves, most of us, couldn't we? Most of us are engaged in a vocation of some kind that involves us in the real world. Most of us aren't separated from the real world like the Pharisees were. We're engaged in business. We're engaged in buying and selling property. We're engaged in, some of us, legal practice. The legalities of our world. Some of us are in, maybe in government of some kind. And so in that respect, we can relate to the tax collector when we have to do very difficult things in the dog-eat-dog world we live in. And then we find out very easily what the tax collector confessed about himself. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let's come back to the Pharisee with respect to justification. Jesus has the Pharisee confess something in the presence of God. He says, God, now maybe that's a good start. Acknowledging God, very good thing. But then it goes sideways from there. I thank you that I am not like the rest of human beings. We just let that sink in. That is really an extravagant boast. He is separating himself from all of the rest of mankind. I am not like everyone else. And what is everyone else like? Well, like those robbers and adulterers. And then like this tax collector. Now let's give the Pharisee the benefit of a doubt for the moment. Maybe he really isn't like other people with respect to the things he identified, robbing and committing adultery and such things. But does that mean he's without sin? 
Actually, it doesn't. He is actually guilty of the worst of sins. He is guilty of pride, that sinful pride that says, I am righteous in myself. And he's guilty of despising, hating others because he thinks he's superior. What commandment is that that he's breaking? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The dangerous thing, though, about being the Pharisee, about these kinds of sins, are that he thinks he's justified and deserves and has the right to despise others and to claim before God that he is righteous in himself. Why? Because he thinks he's obeyed the law. And when a person believes they have obeyed the law, then they think they're justified in despising others. The Pharisee is in a dangerous place, spiritually speaking. Now, in addition to thinking he's morally superior, he also points out how he is religiously pious, how he has sacrificed so much for others, and how God then should look upon it and regard it as righteousness. I fast two times a week. I give a tenth of all my income. I am the epitome of a holy person. Not like others, and especially not like the tax collector. The interesting thing is to ask, what is the Pharisee's point of reference? What is he looking at that makes all the difference in the world? He started out by saying God, but is it really God that is his point of reference? I suggest to you that it isn't. His point of reference is really himself. And what he is like, and what he has done, and the pious things he's doing, and that God then must reward. And he is not really looking to God for what God says and what God's judgment is and relying upon God's action as the basis of his justification. That is what makes him righteous before God. His, His point of reference is really himself. Jesus recognizes it, and that must be the reason why he blasts the Pharisees in other places for their hypocrisy. But that's another story. What about the tax collector? I love the way Jesus portrays the tax collector. I can really identify with the tax collector. Not because I collect taxes. But because when you get out there in this world and have to make a living... It's not very difficult to find out how our world is a fallen place 
And then to come face to face with your own sin. And you know, I'm not talking about really bad things. Maybe we are, but I'm not. You know, I'm talking about getting angry, losing patience, having difficulties with faith in God when you're dealing with these nasty and difficult issues in business. And maybe there's some things that I'd prefer not to have to do. That may hurt people in the pursuit of what my vocation calls me to do as a lawyer or what may call you to do as a businessman or a landlord or, you know, you know it. I don't have to spell it out for you. So I can really appreciate the tax collector. He stands far away. He doesn't even consider himself worthy to lift up his eyes to heaven. And yet he has come. You get that? He has come to the temple to pray. He has come where God has placed his name for sinners to find him. And then he confesses. And it's actually rather simple. doesn't really need to be more complicated. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not just that I have done this, this, and this, and this, and this. I confess that what I am is sinner. As I stand before you, God, this is what I am. Have mercy upon me. What is his claim? Is he claiming anything in himself? Not a peep. What is his claim? God's mercy. He throws himself completely on the mercy of the court. If he is not going to be doomed before God, God is going to have to have mercy and forgive him. That, my friends, is justifying faith. Confessing before God, I am sinner. And then believing that you are to have any future with God, He must forgive. I call that justifying faith because we get to Jesus' judgment. And yeah, there's a judgment here. Now maybe we're afraid of that word judgment. Judgment actually cuts both ways. Our justification before God is actually a a rendering of a judgment. It's just a good one. Not guilty, but we'll get to that. Jesus, as the one who has all power and authority, does render judgment here. He says, the tax collector went down to his house justified, but not the other one, not the Pharisee. Jesus pronounces that the tax collector is righteous, holy, child of God, member and heir of God's kingdom, forgiven totally, completely, eternally. Why? 
Well, we want to say because Jesus died for his sins. Well, certainly true. That's the objective side. But also because he was utterly convinced about himself that he is a sinner. And he threw himself only upon the mercy of the court. This is trust. He is truly trusting completely in God's action. His point of reference is God, not himself, even though he's confessing himself as sinner. But in that confession, he is relying entirely and totally on God's character to have mercy, on God's action in Christ to win atonement, and in God's action in speaking forgiveness. I forgive you. You are mine. You belong to me. Maybe I should just stop there. Maybe I just should. But I don't know. When I'm thinking about this text, I'm also wrestling with a couple other things, which is things we wrestle with, I think, in our culture. What our culture teaches us about what we should think about ourselves. And what we should think about justification. You know, our culture is... We're always trying to justify ourselves. Actually, justifying oneself comes as naturally to us as breathing. And I wonder, why? Why is that? And the the perplexity of it is we think that in justifying ourselves, we really are righteous. And the danger of self-justification is blinding us to the fact that we aren't righteous. So if we dig down a little little deeper as to why we are always seeking to justify ourselves, I think the reason why is because it's our natural reaction to being sinful. What do we naturally want to do when we do something wrong? We want to cover it up. And then all the defenses come up, right? We have, oh, so many defenses and rationalizations and justifications for the bad things we've done. And then we think and the, that we do the good things and then we think it takes care of all the bad things and we're justified, we're righteous. You know, the fact of the matter is the Pharisee and our, human, and our human nature in trying to justify itself is just living a big fat lie. And that's another reason why the Pharisee simply can't be righteous, justified in what he confessed about himself and what he thought about himself. Because he's just living a big lie. It's just a big cover-up. The tax collector is being honest. And in being honest, threw himself on the mercy of the court. Because then we realize, in in an honest appraisal of ourselves, and of the world we live in, that the only way we can be justified before God is by his mercy. And thank God he teaches us this. Thank God that he has provided the way of justification through his Son so that we can come here to this place, say to God, I am a poor, miserable sinner with sincerity. Hear the word of absolution. 
hear me say to you, Jesus says you are justified and receive his forgiveness in the body and blood. And then I can say to you the wonderful news and you can believe it in your heart and you can say it to each other and you can tell people out there who don't know this good news, who are caught in the trap, the lie of self-justification. You are forgiven for Christ's sake. You confess you're a sinner, you are forgiven. And God calls you His own. And you have joy. And you have peace. Amen. Now the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.